0: i mean this is a very this brings us to you know our first very general evolutionary principle which is that novelty emerges from novel combinations of pre-existing material basically um like that is the the dominant process that gives birth to new things and actually you know we can, we we potentially can can dive into the kind of the ancient world because the, the ancients very much knew that um even even Within the um, essentialist paradigm, you know, even, even people coming after if we, in Greece like Parmenides and, and believing that there's no real change, they uh-huh. still wanted to explain apparent change. Um, uh-huh. And one of the ways of doing that was saying, OK, well, the, the ultimate constituents never change, but they are arranged in different ways. And that's how we get new things. And hey, that kind of sounds a lot like, you know, the way we still think about the world in the sense of you know at the and i hate these terms like fundamental or whatever but at some level of description the kind of level of description dealt with by so-called fundamental physics you know the constituents are all the same, and then at higher levels, different arrangements of those constituents give birth to new things. And then we see that same uh-huh. evolutionary yeah. principle at every level: combine two things in a novel way at any given level, you'll you'll create a new thing. Combine enough things at a particular
1: level in a complex enough way, and you'll create a new fucking level. Um, yeah, no, that's that's very very true. Regarding the fundamental physics, though, I'm not sure if it's. I feel like you know there is just. A particular layer of physics that it applies 100% but mm. if you go from lower or higher from mm. that level in terms of like you know the structure it's actually like it's really hard to you know even think like we obviously think I mean humans is like you know higher lower you go yeah, like yeah. you know you zoom it's out it's higher you reason. zoom in it's lower but it like there is nothing that says mm. one is lower and you know left right whatever yeah, exactly so if you go I, it feels like you know that basically applies at the level of like, you know, protons, neutrons, electrons perfectly because that's exactly oh, how cool. atoms and molecules are created. Yeah. But it feels like if you go lower from that level, you again enter the, you know, whole shenanigans and you know of,
0: I mean it, it at that point it obviously yeah. depends on your particular, you know, flavor of say interpretation of quantum mechanics or whatever,
1: because I you know think just,
0: it could just, just be just, one big wave function. The whole thing is unitary yeah.
1: evolution of the wave function which... but it just i feel like you know anything below that it just does not fold properly in our monkey brain yeah like i think is you know we're like oh maybe the universe is so weird it's no we're just very our brain is just our brain like you just cannot possibly comprehend the thing because it's yeah. meat
0: yeah but i i actually I, as you know i don't like that as an argument particularly to affirm some kind of You know say you know (laughs) i'm trying to think of the 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 best way to say this but to affirm some really counterintuitive theory and say well Well, of course it's
1: counterintuitive because you've only got the monkey brain no i I wouldn't say that you know any particular explanation of quantum mechanics would be the explanation Mm -hmm. my point is more like the problem exists not at the level of the universe and so our different interpretations of that stem not from it being somehow you know intrinsically complex it's more like it's our brain does not align with that issue because our brain yeah, is not meant to calculate that 100
0: yeah i mean we are we interact with things at a certain scale yeah. both in terms of size
1: and time a certain temporal scale yeah, etc yeah, of yeah. course
0: and things but that also are like dimensionality
1: far. is important you yeah. know color is important we're very visual yeah like We have to think of three dimensions exactly in time Mm -hmm. and things to make sense, but when they don't, when they get wonky, we try to fold their wonkiness back into our, you know, three dimensionality, and then we get multiverse, then we get, Mm. you know, perception affects reality, Mm -hmm. then we get anything.
0: Mm. <clears throat> yeah, no, 100%. I mean, we could, we could dive we could dive deep into that rabbit hole, but maybe
1: not. But where do you yeah. think, I mean, what, if we go back to ancients, mm. I'm curious at the point where people started to, uh, you know, have a glimpse of understanding that things actually change and evolve. Because mm. you would think that the basics would be from them seeing that kids are different yeah. from their parents, mm. yet are the same mm. in some ways. But that can probably lead to the idea of just, yeah, we just kind of, you know, shuffle the traits. So we just keep shuffling them, but there is a set amount of traits. And, you know, you just reshuffle new people, reshuffle new people, kind of that. So there is no change in, in that. yeah I mean, there is a change, but it's not like, you know, like there is a dynamic balance of yeah. the traits yeah. that are being manifested in different phenotypes. But yeah, altogether, there is no evolution. Well, I would think that be the first kind yeah. of. Um,
0: I tend to think um, that that's a that's a more sophisticated thing that came later. I, I, okay. I don't know, obviously, but the way I think it might be is that you know if you, if you look at creation myths, uh, a lot of ancient, you know, really it's ancient right. creation change, myths, yeah. they're all about change and they're all about yes. coming from some like primordial thing which is absolutely nothing like the the universe. Um, it's it's maybe it's an egg or something. I mean, they of course. It usually does have some kind of. It is a metaphor based on something in the observable reality, but then yeah. they are these grand narratives of how things have changed. And I think if you if you look, that's quite consistent across traditions that you have these evolutionary narratives. And then I think you get to a more. I think you probably get to, you know, the so-called axial revolution. And again, maybe it it predates all of that and stuff, but it starts to be talked about and then written down in that period where you start getting thinkers who are more what I would think of as kind of essentialists, you know, who start, like Parmenides would be a classic example, and then obviously, you know, Plato and etc., who start to think of things in terms of abstract categories, and how the change that we see is more like apparent change, and we're fooled into thinking that there is change, but underneath that lies something, you know, stable and basically perfect. You know ordered in some very you know timeless fashion so i think that comes as a a secondary consequence of like abstract so-called second order thinking and i think that that at least emerges in sort of preserved texts and traditions in the millennium before jesus right so it seems to me
1: those guys they were just living in a somewhat stable world Mm. like you know their worlds once created they were reasonably stable you know, you have a bronze sword, you have a bronze sword, you know, just, you pass it to you and, you know, your kid, and if it's not nicked, it functions, right, for another hundred years, Mm -hmm. so, (laughs) there is, like, there is really no change in, you know, many things, the way we do things in that time is just the same over and over, and so, that would definitely create a sense of stability, Mm -hmm. and when you see cycles of nature repeating themselves, Mm -hmm. and you're living in a stable environment, then probably, yes, but, I'm curious how, you know, like, say our, you know, ancient people before that, whether they were able to see the change of the nature, Mm. like, you know, from through generations to see that as like, you know, continuum. So when things got colder, you know, they probably saw it getting colder and colder and colder and colder. Then things start to get warmer and they see them starting warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer. But they no longer have a memory of it being like getting back to as warm as it was before, because Mm -hmm. it was like a thousand years before. And so I'm just curious how much of, you know, natural uh, conditioning creates the idea that like a linear time that we're moving somewhere, Mm. right? Mm. Because, you know, obviously in Australia, the dream world is the idea that there is no time. I mean, there Mm -hmm. is, but there is not, you know. Everything is the same perpetual present. Mm. And so you just keep, you know, going into that present. Like, yeah, well, I think every day
0: there are, yeah, there are really interesting things going on at different level, you know, different scales temporally, because different temporal scales, because for sure, for, you know, hunter gatherer people for thousands of years, if not, you know, tens of thousands of years, they culturally they basically stayed the same you know like yeah there were the change of seasons and that sort of thing
1: but any deck I'm sure about that because I would actually think that there would be more stable in ancient Greece than in hunter-gatherers because I feel like I mean I might be wrong but just my intuition about that is uh because the context between humans are limited because the number of humans is very low Mm -hmm. then if you have any new innovation it will pass and kind of like you know it will be slower pass but Mm -hmm. once it takes hold it takes hold so if there will be a way for any living human to find something to find another human being capable of doing something they have no idea you can do and so like you know a particular type of a hook or a particular way Mm -hmm. of fishing a thing you know whatever and so you can meet a new human and you're like, oh, that human can know something that I don't know. Mm. So the that kind of brings the idea of stability into question because you're, you know, you get to experience novelty very in that way. Yeah. Like you don't get to experience it often, but you get to experience it in a profound way. Like it changes your world dramatically, mm. I would think. Well, and also because you see people around you just fading away very fast mm. you're like wow very all of it is going you know like you feel the sense of it's very easy to in my thinking to feel the sense of change in movement and not very easy to feel the sense of stability because no food tomorrow yeah. and the day after a person Ooh. shows up with a freaking thing so, you need to I mean do that's change. that's kind
0: of what I was what I was trying to get at is that the, on different scales so On the individual experiential scale, things are every day is different, right? So things are changing. You encounter different things every day. But on the societal scale, things are seem to be relatively more stable. Whereas you know, by the time you're getting into into you know the kind of evolution of civilization in that axial period things are culturally changed the world is is, is getting smaller really quickly people are yeah. you know especially you get into the hellenistic era which is obviously a little bit after that and everything but you know now greece is suddenly an empire and and there's this influx of cultures from all over the place and but i think you know a couple of a couple of things um so yeah there's a kind of a sense in the way that the hunter gatherer people
1: civilization it kind of for the individual perception it becomes very stable unless you you know going onto the one you get killed but that's also again very stable thing it just happens every 10 years mm. but, but I other think, than yeah. that I feel like there is this constant you know of this thing we have the civilization it will be here forever. Well,
0: I think it's probably a really big thing with the with the stability. So I think with the hunter gatherers, I think you're right. But I think I think they live in a kind of perpetual present in the sense that they are like it's very it is very rapidly changing. But in a yeah, certain so sense, yeah.
1: So facilitate the idea that change is constant that you are going from you know the egg to the Ragnarok for yeah. the sake of sure. philosophy. obviously those myths are like yeah, you know much later. way <laughs> much fewer than many you know, of the hunter gatherers, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But then in, in,
0: in, you know, Greece and in the Middle East and in, and in, in Asia and obviously, you know, coming out of Egypt in, in, um, well, in the Greece and Middle East, um, you have this thing with all of these symbolic systems that start to become more and more elaborated and, you know, language, mathematics... And then, you know, one of the ideas about the Axial Revolution is that kind of literacy explodes. And then you have, oh. obviously, you have a lot of people living in, in relatively close proximity to each other in, you know, co- very complex societies. And the, the rate of literacy is so much higher. So the exchange of ideas is much higher. But so that's what actually fuels cultural change. But at the level of the individual, they now have this abstract... Um, layer of thought um, this like abstract element of their phenomenology which is symbolic um, and it's internalized into more and more people during that time and i kind of feel like the essentialism of the you know again the Pythagorean or pythagorean um, and then going up to to plato and beyond essentialism comes out of that ability um, conferred by these abstract thinking systems because those seem very, you know, absolute. Those mm. are what they are, and, you know, they are not subject to the, like the hunter gatherers, like you say, they're in this perpetual flux of daily activity. Every day is, is like, whoa, you know, who knows what's going to happen? No food today, maybe food, you know, tons of food. Uh, maybe I nearly get killed today by a, a, a lion, whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> Um, they're they're constantly immersed in the present and in the external world, you know, like they're they're like other animals, they're um and this is not, you know <laughs> I'm not denigrating them in any way. This is a very healthy state and this is why we meditate and all yeah, of that. No, I but,
1: would definitely I would think that's a better state yeah, of being than the, you it's know, what the, state the nervous, of nervous
0: system it's was yeah it's what the nervous okay. system was designed to do right it's it's yeah. outward directed so you are constantly processing a large amount of information that is reaching you via your sense
1: organs yeah. whereas when well you have... those people they see the new people the pythagoreans mm. pythagoreans <laughs> and pythagoras self <themselves. laughs> like they see this abstract world and then they're like this is what's impermanent yeah everything else is absolutely yeah. you know it's just BS in a certain sense, and you have yeah, the
0: same. Yeah, yeah. Like you have the same clay, thing in India. Yeah. You have the same
1: idea yeah. in India. The Maya, you know. Yeah, um... yeah, definitely. I mean, Maya, Maya, yeah, but Indians like to overcomplicate every <laughs> single. What well, the
0: Greeks? The Greeks
1: um, don't. Yeah. Well, the Greeks they like to have it in a more neat and precise way. The mm-hmm. Greeks, you know, Greeks like to be here is concept A, here is what it means. If you say that it means something other than that, you're wrong, here's concept A, here's what it means. The Indians are like, here is this, this concept that means basically everything and nothing at yeah. the same time, and you cannot understand what it means if you align yourself with this concept in a proper way. I'm not gonna tell you properly, you know, language. <laughs> well, That's it how they operate. It can't
0: be told. I mean, that is yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the very Eastern thing. Yeah, it, it can only be experienced. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, yeah. and they, I think...
1: They were not one for the explanations. They did not like the whole notion of trying to explain something in plain language. But interestingly, you it's know... This is, this is kind of, you know, I feel like, you know, both approaches, a a small tangent here is that I feel like both approaches are extremes of the perception of language. Mm. One is the perception of language as the, 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 the tool? It's like, you know, you use this. To make definitions here is the definition words mean things you know mm. and then another thing is like no words just don't mean anything the words are just here mm. they have veneer and reality mm. it's like in the middle guys in the middle, yeah, yeah, in the middle.
0: Totally. i mean i do think in defense of india that they are pretty good with middle paths obviously we don't need to go on a tangent about buddhism here but buddhism is all about that um but I mean, oh, yeah, sure. in, in the west of course we get in the in the you know first part of the 20th century we get logical positivism which is like the apotheosis of that idea that you know the word it means exactly this and you know if it can't be yeah. expressed using these precise symbols then it, it's meaningless kind of thing um yeah. yeah but absolutely but yeah so i think i think what I've been interested to to try and and you know understand and, and there's a lot more uh you know study that I need to do, but it is exactly this like evolutionism and essentialism as kind of antithetical ways of seeing the world, um and obviously the middle path is is the best here. Like you don't want you know.
1: But, yeah and but yeah they're because in in the actual reality they're not antithetical by the yeah, exactly the yeah. fact that they coexist mm. and they coexist they clearly like reality you know integrates them into one thing yeah but yeah um
0: well yeah i mean yeah they are they're kind of logical Antithesis, antithesis. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, exactly. But you have, because you, clearly you, there are some essential things that you can abstract out of the happenings, out of events, and mm-hmm. they will repeat themselves in one way or another. Like yeah. you can have phenomena A, phenomena B. They're not connected, but they have the same underlying reasoning behind them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think if you, if you look at Parmenides and Heraclitus, who are kind of the the you know the the two. You can take them as the representatives of those two traditions. You know, Parmenides is kind of arch-essentialist. Nothing ever changes. Um, Heraclitus is arch-evolutionist. Everything is in flux. They're yeah. both really smart, really wise dudes who are completely fucking right. You know? And that's that's the thing. Like, we need to be comfortable with that paradox. Um, yeah. They are at a certain level of description. They're both... You know they both have a lot to teach us i suppose still yeah
1: yeah like we need to be mindful of the fact that any our paradox that seems to be you know a paradox of our thinking is a paradox of our thinking like if, if it seems to be that way in reality you know reconciles those things without even you know a wink, and yeah sure they are actually <laughs> reconcilable yeah. Like, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of thinking and a lot of scientific thinking goes astray when people forget that they are people, that they, you know, they get so engaged and so connected with their, with their thoughts and ideas that they don't see that it's the, you know, material organ that produces those thoughts, mm. and material organ has its limitations, so thinking that, oh, this, oh, oh no, this is how it all works, but it doesn't connect here, so there has to be, like, fundamental issue there. Yeah, yeah maybe your brain just doesn't work that way. Well, maybe I
0: think, I think you know, at the level of the human discourse, I think score points for evolutionism in general here because that kind of idea of absolute certainty and, you know, ultimate truth and all of those sorts of things tend to be the targets of evolutionary thinkers in certain contexts, like in epistemological contexts, for example, like evolutionism trends towards Um, scepticism.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you know, like there are a lot of, uh, a lot of those issues with thinking, they are not implicit, you know, you need to make them implicit. Like you would see people arguing about it. And if you're reading your scientific paper about their disagreements, you don't even see that there is this level of which humans exist. You see the level of ideas they engage with. And then just because of the way it is presented to you, you can even be tricked into seeing a problem. It's like this hard problem of consciousness, you know, this issue. And, you know, are people, you know, conscious or not? It's like, Like the whole hundred years worth of scientific writing is, you know, just based on the illusion that we can solve it within our own hands by thinking about it. Mm. Like maybe this is just a problem. Maybe we just cannot think it, you know, maybe we just, or we don't have the tools yet to think about it. Like, no, no. There is isn't fun there is a so the bond psychism or this if we answer it this way it's this. Yeah. If we answer it that way, it's that. Like well, come I on think, people.
0: Again, evolutionary thinking about the origins of concepts can deconvolute these deep philosophical cool. problems. Like yeah, no, that sure. problem doesn't exist if you don't have dualism really. Um, yeah, and even, I mean that problem just does not exist. Period. It just does not
1: exist sure. because we have human. We are humans. We're here. We're conscious. Without anybody actually doubting that, and well, yeah, but know, that's we,
0: separate from the hard, the hard problem, obviously. But yeah. um, but I think what you know, an interesting thing is that even when you have you have monistic philosophical schools, they tend to be, you know, they are in a certain sense anti-dualist. Because it's either mind first, you know, it's either idealism, like mentalist monism, or it's matter or physicalism, you know, physicalist monism. And that already presupposes the dualist thinking that you are trying to refute. Whereas in a a genuinely like preconceptual non-dual thing, which is, is of course, the goal of of a lot of contemplative traditions... um, there you know there is no mind or body first kind of thing you know yeah. they are the same bloody thing obviously it's non dual yeah. come on you know that's the whole the whole point uh and and I do I mean I find it of you know that I find really fascinating and I know you do as well but that kind of it can be very tiring but that again like evolutionary reverse engineering of ideologies or of concepts or of uh of semantics you know and then watching people talk past each other can be very illuminating and very interesting as well and of course i do my share of talking past other people as well because i understand words in in a particular way and other people use them differently but you know the way that you know consciousness in some traditions essentially really should just be translated or interpreted as meaning that from which all else arises like that's basically what it means um but then you have people sort of you know arguing without really understanding that it doesn't matter it it doesn't matter whether it's matter or whatever the thing that things first arise from the ground of being is fundamentally consciousness in those traditions no matter what it's composed of like what it's composed of doesn't matter so yeah you know
1: it just reminds yeah, me of that. Yeah. Like materialistic thinking is as you know as as an ideology and as made of ideas as the idealistic thinking. Hundred percent They all stem from the same organ. They all are, you know, similarly constructed. Mm. No one n- none of them is more real than another one.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean we have this idea that it's and this is this is in you know inherent in the hard problem. And I don't know if, you know, we need to unpack that whole thing again. We did another podcast on it, and I've written articles about it and stuff. But we have this idea that it is somehow really counterintuitive
1: that non-conscious matter. We love that that in science. That's our pet horse. We love it. When there is something it doesn't, you know. You thought that your ear yeah. is this. Oh, this is not how it is. You thought that the table is solid. No, it's mostly made of emptiness.
0: Let me address that. Let me address that in two seconds. The the um because I think that is part. That's like an axial age legacy in a certain sense. Um, but um, I was going to say yeah. We have this idea that it's it's somehow counterintuitive that inert matter should give rise to life or should give rise to con- like non-conscious yeah. matter should give rise to conscious matter and it's like in a certain sense like how can that be like we know that that happens that that's not counterintuitive i mean that's just an observable fact um, so the whole idea that this is now that's quite different from like explaining how that happens like mechanistically that's a very difficult problem and very interesting understanding the function of that why you know the why the real purposive why yeah why that's why also really important but charmers yeah. Chalmers specifically says that this is not a mechanistic question yeah. and it's yeah. not a functional question and in that sense you know in that case you just took every reasonable question off yeah the board. i mean
1: it's just like you create you know a logical error and then you present this logical error as some sort of a miracle and then everybody are in awe of your ability <laughs> to create logical errors to a fantastic yeah. freaking awesome like it's like you know the same thing with the table you know you think the table is solid but it's made of emptiness no fucking way there is no contradiction there <laughs> like it's the way i feel the solidness is the result of its emptiness like they are in direct connection you know causal connection there's causal connection between it being made of emptiness and atoms and me feeling it solid if it was not made of emptiness it would have felt differently to me like it just but people are like oh oh my god paradox like they do not they just do not connect things properly they they just ah. but also that you know that wilfred
0: seller's example of the scientific image and the manifest image which is really again it is that's really helpful as a as like an intuition pump kind of yeah thing. but my point is that there is you no
1: know. manifest image there is no scientific image there is one there is one there is reality In actuality and for sure there is yeah, yeah. there are
0: descriptions there's a there that's the point yeah. the point that i was gonna, gonna, gonna but make but they're not that,
1: contradictory they're not yeah. contradictory to itself, just because you know yeah, like if a thing seems to you that way, but it's actually the other way, then the way it seems to you is, in direct, is a direct consequence of the way it is. So it's not like it's something, you know, it's different to you than it seems. Well, it seems to you because it's this way, you know?
0: For sure. But I think... The philosophy like the, the the example of the different images as levels of description is still an important analytical, analytical tool oh, one of the yeah, misunderstandings yeah, yeah, yeah. of that precise you know example and of, of Seller's philosophy is that he understood, that the scientific image grew out of the manifest image. you know people have put these as these you know completely opposed things mm-hmm. as, and, and they liken the scientific image with truth with a capital T and the manifest image yeah. with illusion. Um, but it's like no Sellers actually was a, you know a conventionalist of a sort and realized that the scientific image is just more human conventions, just more levels of description yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was a Kantian, I suppose, like he understood Kant well enough to know um yeah. you know we're talking noumenal phenomenal but the scientific and manifest images are both parts of a kind of phenomenal reality um
1: yeah which i think which is, is the phenomenal reality the level of ideas which is where we have pythagoras and then we yeah. have the actuality which is the, what we have we have pyroclitis, I so, guess.
0: Yeah. So think about this this you know idea that things are, are counterintuitive or that it's the same idea that we talked about before. It's Plato's cave, you know, it's Maya and reality. It's the same yeah. idea which has been so popular at least since that time, all over the world, that the true nature of things is concealed from us. And it's actually like, you know, there's truth to it, it is obviously. It's actually
1: reality, yeah. It's however, actually... However, exactly the true true is that the true nature of reality will always be concealed because we are monkeys on the rock
0: but everybody looks for the back door right the loophole Um, yeah yeah, yeah. they want to
1: because what they do is that it has been concealed until now until now
0: exactly now i've seen through and that same problem is there in the contemplative traditions like within these you know meditation traditions you, you come across this myth of the
1: given where it's like oh yes yeah, because all was all maya yeah. but now you dispel the maya by opening this yeah. and just totally. everything
0: and the same the same exact problem in 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 science and that's why yeah. i love nagarjuna and this uh, you know this this thing about you know the ultimate truth being that all truth is conventional and it's exactly the yeah but i mean
1: that's how that's why i always saw that buddhism says that no matter what you do you will always be in this bullshit no matter what you do everything you see will be illusion and you what you feel will be illusion no matter what you do you will be pursuing happiness because you're pursuing happiness you will feel pain no matter what you do the only way is to not being well because if you don't not be none of this exists, but they have a very sophisticated oh, I understand Buddhism in a nutshell.
0: well, but they have a very sophisticated um understanding of conventionalism again, very evolutionary. Here, you know, I mean, I'm and not they, saying
1: you know, I'm not saying that they're not lucid, I am, no, 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 but I'm but saying very, that that's I just disagree with the premise that the, no, but, there is any there is, we need to do anything. Is it well, I think like I'm fine, yeah, <clears throat> everything we see is illusion, yes we can only pursue happiness and we will be suffering as a result of that sure that is somewhat applicable but then ergo i'm just i'm not following because no i'm i'm good like i'm good in pursuing happiness you know suffering a bit as a pursuit of happiness and achieving happiness not feeling as happy as i thought or continuing on the on like i'm good with this can i stick to that
0: yeah but i think you're you're seeing what is a very, you know, textured tradition in very binary kind of absolutist terms, in kind of fundamentalist terms, which is essentially, you know,
1: essentially no pun intended, what yeah, they're, sure. what they're I mean, against, mean, you know. They, but there is the essence of this tradition. It's like saying that, you know, Christianity, the idea is that this world is not great. You still try to do as good as you can, but no matter what you do, this world sucks anyway. So you do as good as you can, and then afterwards you will be rewarded. There. I
0: mean, it's, like, it's actually a, a kind of a similar idea in, in Buddhism, which obviously, which is that no matter, again, it depends on the particular strand, obviously, as well. Like in some strands, they do think you can access the ultimate and, and, and whatever. But in yeah. other strands, you know, you get, it's, it's you know, it's a never ending and unending process. And you peel back the layers and you see more and more of your own bullshit, essentially, and the bullshit you've inherited from society and all of that. And your perception in a certain sense becomes more veridical um, because you see through stuff. Um, yeah. But you never reach the ground. But you do come to suffer less. Um, because, And you also have this opportunity to spend time... In a kind of selfless or non dual sort of state, and that is very therapeutic. And they tend to believe that compassion automatically arises from that. So they're not about, you know, going off and completely cloistering yourself away from the world and just not being. They're about removing all of your own you know biases your primal confusion all of this stuff emptying yourself of all of that so that you can be filled with compassion for others
1: and understand yourself there is definitely that is definitely there hundred percent. but then we still have the core thing is that what we want to actually achieve is to escape the wheel of rebirth i disagree i want to be reborn (laughs) until the end of times i want to be born as many times as i can and more like I disagree with the notion that the good best, you know, state for me is a non-being. I just just disagree with that. But I think I mean fair. I would rather prefer to, you know, be born in worst, you know, conditions imaginable than not to be born at all.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that there's a kind of you still but I interpreting
1: in the good conditions yeah, sure. you know like sure. if i yeah. have to be born again conditions have to improve i mean there is there
0: concerned. is an anti-birth movement right the anti-natalist movement or whatever but that that's <laughs> let's not go there um i think you are interpreting what is a what is a you know metaphor um
1: samsara yeah but it's not better no, it,
0: because because they are
1: the whole, you know, uh, like mythology revolves around that. Yeah, but like the Buddha is the person who decided not to reach nirvana and to stop the wheel of rebirth, but to actually have a chance of improving everybody, and then so that they do not be reborn. Like, fuck you, Buddha! mean <laughs> just go away. If you want to be, if you if you want not to be reborn, just just don't. How
0: dare you try and reduce suffering? Yeah, um, yeah, but. I think, again, there
1: are people... Yeah, but that's like, you know, the re- it's the way of reducing the suffering in the same way as, like, you know, like, there were Christian think- thinkers very similar, like, you know, Cathars thought very similar in terms of what what they believed. That's why they, they abstain, abstain from, you know, procreation. They thought that, no, you should not bring anybody anymore here. We're good. Like, we should not be here because this world is carnal, you know? True. Sure.
0: Yeah, no, um, it, it's it's a again, it's a, it's a common idea, and we do have this contemporary anti-natalist movement, which is kind of similar. But yeah. I think that that again, I see, you know, Buddhism in a in in a, in a deep sense as an anti-literalist, a skeptical tradition, and so those metaphors are, I mean, it's it's mythology, right? And I think that. Yeah that many Buddhists, many Buddhist philosophers have understood that as mythology, have understood it as metaphor. So I think we, we always have a problem in all of these traditions when literalism
1: takes over at any point.
0: And that's the same in every single religious yeah, tradition. Like
1: claim We you know what is mythology, what's not within the religious movement. And like if you have some core premises of that, movement of that tradition i'm not sure how much you can claim that it's not them i mean i obviously you know agree in in practice but in in essence if you have a tradition that states here are our things then how much you can claim that it's not them because buddhism clearly claims that the only way for us to stop the suffering is to you know stop the wheel of rebirth but i think like, as,
0: as i say i mean we're not going to get to the bottom of this i think it's been in, that has been interpreted very very differently within the very diverse Buddhist tradition, you know, as soon as we say something like, and it's hard not to get into this, especially as Westerners, but as soon as we say something like Buddhism says X, it's like, yeah, but you know, a whole heap of other people within Buddhism who are very, you know, influential yeah, and important sure. thinkers have said why, you know, so yeah, it's a very diverse tradition. You
1: can do the same, but basically, you can do the same dance with pretty much any, you know, uh, tradition. You can do the same with Christianity mean, and say that. Actually, you know, Christianity removed from its fundamentalist, you know, ideas. And if you treat uh, some of the gospel parts as metaphors, which actually all of them do anyway, because, you know, none of them take for granted everything, like they fucking sell candles in churches, in, you know, how dare they <laughs> if the freaking book says you should not do that? Like, yeah.
0: But, I mean, I'm 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 completely with you. I mean, you know very well that I have I'm a fan of, of the the idea of the perennial philosophy. And by the way, I wish people would stop fucking straw manning Huxley. He didn't say that all religions were the same. He said they had a highest common principle. It's quite a different thing. Um, everybody yeah. everybody likes to straw man him there, but it's like no, yeah, but I mean, once
1: you, when you need to pass tests. You know, you get this. You get to... What did Huxley thought about all religions? They are the same. They are different. They are this. (laughs) They They are are all this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's an interesting thing there, and I think we all do this, right, which is that a certain thinker has... And a certain idea of a certain thinker has a Cliff Notes version that becomes a potent meme, you know, and that just goes around... And so people have a particular, you know, another one of my bugbears is the way people talk about Karl Popper. And, you know, Popper himself did you know, did himself no favours in, in this regard. But people think of, you know, the sum total of, of being a Popperian as being a falsificationist or something like that. And it's like, no. And people, I've even read people contrasting Popperian philosophy of science with evolutionist philosophy of science or evolutionary epistemology. And I'm like, Jesus, he's an arch evolutionary epistemologist. Read his stuff. Um, anyway, but yeah, Huxley is always straw man. People, people will say things like, you know, it is absolutely true that these religions are all very similar in their... You know, there's a mystical tradition in every religion, which is pretty much seems like it's the same thing almost, you know. But we're not we're not like Huxley. We don't think that all the religions were the same. And it's like, how stupid do you think the dude w- was? You know, he's <laughs> like, he was...
1: One yeah, but that's the common thing. Most people think they like they don't. They never make that assumption implicit, but they always think of their own thinking as vastly superior mm-hmm. to everybody else's thinking, or actually to their un- simplistic yeah. understanding of everybody else's thinking. Because obviously, they're not private to their thoughts. They're not private to the complexity of their thoughts, and they don't want to make themselves, yeah. you know. But you don't have to read they, the
0: introduction to the perennial philosophy, the book.
1: Why do they need to? They understand it already. They don't need to read about it. They have already got the gist. Why? <laughs> Why read about it? Yeah. You already know. Yeah. Oh, fuck them. But yeah, I mean, but in, in respect to the evolution, like Buddhism in that sense actually feels more about the, uh, that, you know, here, like, I wonder how much of the, you know, religious idea of that here is how the world is because this is you know we explain to you the world now do this right that's how religions essentially work sure. and so how much of their this is how the world is is counter uh you know like contra evolutionary in a way because obviously evolution doesn't care what the world is and you know no constraint on the present world necessarily tells us how the world would be later yeah. Because those constraints overcome, you know, new levels of existence can be created and so on and so on and so on. For sure.
0: I mean, I think that
1: the... I'm not sure if I entirely follow what you're saying, but I think that the... What, what I'm following, I guess what I'm trying to get at, I didn't get at that. What I'm trying to get at is that how... Uh, First of all, you know, what facilitated, is that just the natural change of human thinking that, you know, allowed us to get to understanding that, you know, whatever, evolution, for Mm -hmm. the sake of argument, right, here it is, but, or whether there is some way of thinking that we as humanity get closer and closer, which mimics the way things actually are, and that, you know, Some of the religions are basically with they will be on that trajectory, right? So you have to go through that in order to get to be like, oh, actually everything flows.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of things I I want to say to that. Um, And I think it is all, again, I will see it all through very evolutionary um, concepts, of course. So I'll say one, one, as an aside, I will say that, you know, Charles Sanders Peirce considered truth to be the, you know, the unreachable endpoint of the, um, you know, critical exchange between rational people, blah blah blah, people doing their best to discover the truth, would eventually converge on it in some sense, right? So it's like an omega point, but it's never reachable, which I think is important here, um, because I don't think it's can. Uh, I'll say the other thing, and then I'll say that, because um, I'm just worried you'll jump in. Uh, I see that, that like something like the Buddhist project in terms of the the um, embodied the teachings that you are supposed to embody and the practices that you are supposed to do within that tradition and certainly within other traditions as well. But of course, Buddhism has a particularly you know rich set of of practices. Um, are essentially um, it's hard to avoid that word uh, about taking charge of your own cognitive evolution, like pushing it beyond where you know it will naturally go because you know, it will be apt for you know, uh, of course they wouldn't have thought of it in this way, but it would be apt for a hunter-gatherer environment in a certain kind of, of context and blah blah blah. But we can intelligently design our own cognition by paying attention to certain elements of it and thereby make it more apt. And making it more apt is, in fact, making it more sympathetic or in harmony with, resonant with, consonant with, coherent with, blah blah blah. The the you know the actual as it is for humans. So it's like making it more in line with the Umwelt of humans. So I think that there's a way that it's not. It's conventions all the way down in the sense that we'll never bottom out and and actually access numeral reality. We'll step through the gate and then we'll see things as they actually are or something like that. But I think we have a a particular kind of nervous system that builds an umwelt in a particular kind of way. And I think we can sort of, I don't want to use the term optimise, but we can make the way we behave most apt for that umwelt. And there are strategies that have been developed in different traditions um f- for making that happen um for you know and and that's exactly what it is i think when the when the you know the scales are falling from your eyes and all of that kind of thing it's not that you are all of those metaphors the pond is becoming you know less turbid and all of that the clouds are parting um you know i i I, of course, don't see that as us accessing ultimate reality or ultimate truth in any sense. But I do think it's objectively us using our nervous system to, you know, interact with the humanum so to So te- to detect the real patterns that are available to us as the kinds of organisms that we are, to optimize, again, it's a bit of a bad word in evolutionary context, but, you know, our affordances, you know, to make, you know, to make, our affordances as deep and broad and you know beneficial yeah, no, as they can yeah. be
1: I mean, in terms of the practical application of that no 100 for sure just the understanding how the human oh yeah i like i like it like the totality of human like the meshwork of human ideas and perception as it is actually realized through humans yeah i mean i i think everybody should be made aware of that because it definitely makes you a better operator of that like it doesn't mean that then straight away you have to denounce the maya and no more be a sinful person and then go on and meditate like you be, you will be better a better sinner if you understand how it works. Sure. That's why, you know, I like so many, I feel people in the tech now industry and business, they like meditation because it makes them better. It makes them better at being the crooks they are, you know, and <laughs> sure. sure, sure, it works. Yeah. But I think definitely like for the humanity, I mean, that's basically why I was getting at that woman as well, you know, with the narrow text messaging is like, Understand how ideas were like, how they form your, you know, thinking, and how your own form your own thinking. And so, if you engage in a hypothetical situation of you being, you know, unhappy, you feel unhappy. Then why are you doing it? Why? What's the reason for you to do that in the first place? Like, you know, it's like a lot of people, you know, John Green, for the sake of environment, right? He would, uh, you know, in his know video blog he would constantly uh, not constantly but from time to time he would say I have you know mental condition and because of that mental condition I have obsessive thinking about you know whatever x y or z and that I'm you know very nervous when I get to the airport I have to be there three hours before if I'm not there three hours before I get nervous and it's like I totally understand how it feels to be that I've been in the situations where it felt exactly like that you know like the panic that you are kind of a world of the, you know, connections all crumble and then just chaos. Like, sure, I understand. But the point is that any single human, I believe, unless they are like, I don't know, heavily medicated on the drugs that just stabilize their homeostasis up to the point where it's absolutely movable, that they can get out of this by understanding how it works, how those loops works, by observing them and by getting these attached to them. But when they get a chance to label it as like, here is what I am, this is just how I am. There is no way out then because this is how they are. Like, you know, now the brain has to maintain that in order to maintain them. And so now brain is tasked with constantly creating those loops because this is what you are. Mm. And, the fact that people and you know John Green freaking you know best-selling author freaking person who has a lot of people that he interacts with and he is not he does not have that idea in mm-hmm. him like how can we then hope then you know any random person would have that idea but at the same time we can see that now it's very important for people to actually understand the fluidity of their experience the you know like the nature like how malleable anything inside them is mm. they think this is the love of their life well no shit you know they think this is their you know they have to be upset about x y and z no my favorite is when you can my favorite is how you can make people really angry or really upset by just saying things like <laughs> yeah how is this possible but it's not just like you don't even have to attack them okay i can understand you know that how there is some sort of a you know advantage in being able to get upset if somebody tells you that you suck Mm. i can see how that is a beneficial trade in some situations it can make (laughs) the world better right but there is definitely zero gain in me saying I like eating dead, dead bodies of dead people and somebody getting upset about that. Like, there is no gain in that mm. because it did not happen. There was no level at which that was reality. There was no level at which the person thought it was reality, you know? They did not believe that I'm saying the truth, yet they still got upset because of the imagery of their head. Like, there is no, there is, it's not beneficial trait. And the people that they did not rec- don't recognize it, they stand by it. They're like, but you said an awful thing. Like, no, you made it awful. I did not, I said words. The awful thing happened in your cognition.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things I want to say in response to all of that. I think you had a really nice articulation in there um, when you were talking about John Green and, and you know, uh, you know, John, but the things arising. Hey, I love from, John yeah, is awesome. Great. I just, I
1: personally yeah. hope that he will feel better. My, my intention is not to denigrate him. I want him to feel better. Yeah.
0: I think you had a nice articulation in different words of of what anatman or anatta, you know, the Buddhist doctrine of not self, really is is all about. Or at least that's the way that I like to see it as a kind of a, a an inactive soteriological directive, which is. To see through, and I mean, it, it has a metaphysical component to it, obviously, which is that there is no essential self. You know, it's this process that you can interact with, and 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 by basically by looking at it, um, and seeing that it is not an essential, fixed, immovable, timeless, you know, self with a capital S. Uh, you can then, you know change it for the better, essentially. It becomes malleable as soon as you realise that it's not fixed. Um, And really, as soon as you you realise that your agency can affect this process and i think that's where we get into a lot of problems with some of the extrapolations of the of the not self idea and everything is that there is there is volition and agency involved in attending to your cognitive processes in yeah. such a way that you can improve them um, yeah. so you can't then go from there to say that really there's no such thing as agency but you know, the other thing, one of the first things you said, and now I can't even remember what yeah, you said.
1: Yeah, In the necessary caveat to that is that nobody implies that it will be miraculously changed as soon as you understand it. Yeah. And some things take much more time to change than another. Yeah. Like if you're being, you know, addicted to a particular behavior, when you understand that this addiction is not, you know, whatever, you know, physical, whatever the word we need to use, <laughs> like it's not. You know yeah. unchangeable i would say intrinsic or essential yeah it's yeah big... yeah, yeah you will still it is still some time before you can do something totally. about it or anything you know you have compulsive thinking it will take time to yeah. get out of it sustained practice but yeah 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 and some things are easier than others but all of them of that all phenomena that are you know just thought I, you know based only they are all malleable
0: yeah i mean the the irony is when back back to the agency thing, you know that dead horse that I love to flog. Um, the irony is that in order to, um, you know, level up your agency, uh, you need to apply your agency in a sustained manner. Um, so you will you will become a more effective agent if you see through those, um, you know, the illusion of the intrinsic or essential self. Uh, but in order to actually enact that understanding, you need to, you know, there is a sustained application of your agency, or dare I say, your will, um, in order to in order to actually make that achievement. Uh, you know, but
1: if human evolution says anything, that I'm I'm sure that in like you know X number of centuries, all humans will be on the same page in this respect, mm. because you know previously nobody could speak then only some people could speak. Mm. Now, you know, we have every every human, you know, unless they are, I don't know, Mowgli children or something is sufficiently wrong with them, right? All of them can speak a language. Most of people can read them right now. Mm. And it hasn't been true, you know, for hundred years even ago. Like the, we will just all be on the same page, but I feel this idea just needs to find a proper vehicle because at the moment, We are very into, I mean, we have always been into appearances, even though I would say this actually fluctuated a lot. Like, Mm. you know, if you're a Christian, you're in the Middle Ages, you're less into appearance than you are into thinking about your sins that are not appearance, right? Mm. So even though you obviously think about them, how they appear to others, because they are judging you if you're a sinner or not. So we obviously been, you know, about appearance. But right now, in this day and age, we are very about appearance. Mm. We are all... About appearance you know we are healthy you know fitness how do I look you know all of this so, uh, well what's happening in your brain oh no that's all yours <laughs> we don't get to say anything about what's happening in your mm. brain you tell us mm. you tell us how you feel yeah. and we will be we will agree with how you feel because you decide how you feel but you don't get to decide you decide how you feel but you don't because somehow it's been decided for you before you are born, but then somehow you decide. Like well, it's, again, just, it's just that it's so paradoxical, but nobody even pokes a finger at it, and mm-hmm. nobody you know keeps being questioning. Like, hey guys, do you think modern world interpretation of people's you know psyche is you know a bit wrong in many ways? No, no, okay.
0: Again, I mean, there's a bunch of a bunch of stuff I want to say. Like, I think it's it's really interesting how uh, we talked earlier about the. You know the axial age and and second order thinking and how possibly that's linked to the um, origins of essentialism. It's it's really interesting how. So soon after the origins of those belief systems, you have the counter traditions. Like again, I see Buddhism as a counter tradition, and I see, you know, in a certain sense, Heraclitus is the counter to. Buddhism um, is definitely um,
1: counter tradition. And and so we've
0: had we've had those sorts of, of of traditions around for you know two and a half plus thousand years, and I I agree that. Uh, I think they're becoming more obviously, you know, famously, they're they're more in vogue now than than they ever have been, um, at least in the Western world. Um, I think one of the really important things about having the right vehicle, which you mentioned, is that we shouldn't bring those sorts of systems of belief and those practices into trivial conflict with with cherished ideas like free will, which are cornerstones of our civilization. Um, we don't needlessly bring them into mm-hmm. conflict because, you know, I mean, obviously we could do the next hour on free will and we won't. But um, generally speaking, we have. I believe we have we have, if but we, you, you know, are. it needs to be done yeah. over and over and over again. Um, but you know, moving yeah, well, moving on from that for a second, because yeah. the last thing also is that you know, one of the mm-hmm. things because you were talking about the difference between appearance and and then people kind of claiming this um obviously they have first person access but they kind of claim an absolute or um uh, what's the what's the i mean it's, it's again it's the myth of the given but like i could not be mistaken about the contents of my, yeah, kind my kind of idea yeah, i
1: understand my state really yeah. well
0: and we past. and we, we you know this idea again of course buddhism is all about this but just as people become more educated about cognitive science, we can see that you know your, your ability to, and again this relates to the second order thinking and everything, but your ability to introspect is secondary to your ability to extro you know, to exospect to, you know, to attend to the world outside you
1: yeah, uh, it's, But so cognitive science alone clearly doesn't do it, because cognitive scientists are not like that they are as normal humans as any No, no, other I'm saying
0: human. that, again, that that becomes part of the, uh, you know, the evidence base. So we yeah, now we don't... have contemplative traditions which have been saying this for a really long time. We also now have the empirical understanding that you know your in a certain sense your inside is just more outside and it's just as subject to error because it's modeled you're modeling it in exactly the same way in the same kind of faulty noisy way as you're modeling the external world so you can be just as mistaken about what's going on inside you as you can be about you know what's going on yeah.
1: outside like, you know you, you can have you know whatever a, a pimple and then nobody you wouldn't know unless you look in the mirror <laughs> and we don't have a mirror for the consciousness you know we don't we just feel it so but people really, people are very funny because they accept a lot of things about their body, you know, without, like, you know, for, for true, like, you know, if you, you want to have muscles, unless you have some great genetics, you need to exercise, right? We understand that. So if you have good muscles, you have exercised. We also understand that. So we understand so many things about our body that we cannot know for certain. We need to go and check with the doctor. And you don't go to the doctor and say, you hey, know, I actually don't feel that disease. You know, you are wrong because I don't feel it. But we do all of those mistakes with our minds. We assess that first of all, all people are in the same state in respect to their mind states and how good are they at thinking. We're all the same. Some people are clever, but we don't really know what the clever is. It's just when they say something that is funny, it's clever. Everything else is just eh, the same. We're on the same page, and we can always always know what we think and how we feel. And if somebody tells us that we are angry, we're not angry. They're making us angry by telling us that we are angry. Mm. Like, I don't know. I, I really enjoy just the amount of fog, of mist in human thinking about human thinking, you know? How absolutely. But they, they're so convinced that they see it, that they see the right thing. And when you come there, you be like, no. You don't see a thing. Nobody sees a thing. It's all very misty, but it's definitely not the way you think it is. They're like, no, but I feel it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I mean, that, what you were just saying about anger, uh, the understanding that emotions are, you know, emotions, they are enacted states um, and, and they are projected outside through inaction um and yeah
1: that's you know but it's just it's funny how you know it's interpreted in every which way some people there are people in you know in academia they would be like emotions not matter all that matters is rational thinking Mm -hmm. you know if you have your emotions keep them in check. like awesome nice idea Mm -hmm. very very helpful you clearly were not emotional when you were telling me that yeah absolutely and then there are people who are like, my emotions matter. I feel it, and like, yeah, but stop feeling it. Why don't you just stop feeling that emotion if it's troubling you? Just fucking stop it. It's possible. It's not possible, maybe not even. In-
0: it's not not instantly, but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, not like you this, practice, but you yeah. can do it. Like, if it's yeah. continuously troubling you, stop that emotion. Yeah. No, it's very real. You can stop feeling it.
0: Like- you can stop poking it by con- and yeah, yeah, exactly. by justifying it. We normally get into these yeah. cycles of of you know justifying
1: our emotions. I don't, I don't get to engage with really it. No, it just comes. It just comes to me, you know. And then I'm I'm just I'm just inside. I have to feel <laughs> it. I'm like, yeah. Mm. But it's it's kind of you know what 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 is frustrating. I mean, to be honest, obviously you no. Know, present world kind of gets more into understanding this. And so, you know, probably probably on the scale of like, you know, 2,000 years, it would be just like a clear line from, you know, unconscious to whatever aware state in the entire humanity. Yeah. And maybe, you know, like I'm sure there will be better and better humans as far as we go. But in present day, it's very peculiar how there is this certainty that in whatever like the mind state is you know whatever you feel and it's like real you know you get to decide you know what you are by just feeling what you are yeah
0: i mean i think if you if you chart the course of sort of from late 19th century through the 20th century of like brain science or kind of sciences related to the brain and the mind it's kind of
1: an interesting trajectory you know the guys that they tell us that you know there is nobody that they're only behaviors that we don't feel anything those are the funniest ones but, like how can you delude yourself into thinking you don't feel anything well i think that that's
0: a slight of a, a straw man but there's, there's sure. I mean, more that they were saying that those are scientifically irrelevant, or like that's just beyond the realms of we can't study that. That and that behaviorism is to some degree a reaction against the, you know, briefly psychoanalysis had this this big flowering and and it you know was extremely in vogue and and you know as far as sciences of the mind were concerned it was becoming this dominant thing and then behaviorism was kind of a reaction against that because. Because of reproducibility and all of those things, because in a certain sense there is a deeply, um, I mean, ironically unpoparian in the you know purely falsificationist sense um, element to sort of psychoanalytic theories and um, obviously Freud, but also Jung and and blah 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 and. They also were too interested in things, and especially Jung went that way, but too interested in things which were anathema to the scientific mainstream. You know, it's like, oh, we're just getting out of that interest in, you know, ritual and myth and, and all of that kind of stuff. And all of this sounds basically, they wouldn't have used this term, but all of this is like woo woo. You know, we can't, we can't have that in the academy. So there's kind of a big reaction to that
1: which you
0: know and there is definitely
1: a lot of just yeah science definitely suffered a lot by rejecting the uh, everything that is in any esoteric tradition Mm. because they like this is really peculiar I mean but very telling at the same time about the way science worked in 20th 20th century it's not that you are like hey guys I mean basically what you do with Buddhism right what you do with Buddhism is like I don't like one two three one two three I'm not relevant or like you know whatever from 4 to 20 this is where i like mm. it but they are like you know we don't like one to three so therefore everything from one to 20 goes into the bin because there's clearly no no merit in any of that well i think that's that, yeah yeah
0: i was gonna say oh. i think i think that's the legacy of the and we have definitely talked about this at length on podcasts previously but that's the legacy of the reactionary history of science as a philosophical movement you know yeah. like it, it was but also very
1: elitist. like you know we understand yeah, yeah. we don't need totally. to understand your bullshit because we here are very serious yeah you have just talked to your whatever but we well started. they
0: they they broke away from you know the the hegemony of the of the church but they inherited yeah. the worst aspects of that literalist philosophy and that you know we have the the main line to the ultimate
1: truth kind of In, in respect to mind it's kind of interesting that this is such a neglected aspect because you know people were i mean oh first of all people were experiencing mind from the time immemorial you know they were experiencing emotions we have words for those emotions we have words for so many things that are purely concepts of the mind And we have understood that they are totally within the mind also from like, you know, time immemorial. So they were, you know, I don't remember who was that, Aristotle or whatever, the Galen or whatever, some of them who was like, there are, you know, the if you have more lymph, you are a funny guy or blood, you know, whatever, phlegmatic or sanguinic, whatever. Yeah, blood science, sanguins. Mm -hmm. So if you have blood, more of the blood, you are a funny guy. If you're more of the phlegm, you are more like, meh. Like, we had that. As in, you know, people thought that here is the quality of the mind, and here is the material, you know, basis for that. But probably that also kind of, you know, said that in stone in, in some way, because then you are saying you are, you know, sanguinic. You know, you are no more. You cannot be the other thing. Mm-hmm. You are that. So, but that at least kind of brings it into the study in the form that people can study. And in the Middle Ages, you know, people were trying to study all of those things, like ad you know. They would have different ideas about why different things feel a certain way. But then, at some point, 19th century, something like, you know, whatever, enlightenment, whatever. I would crap on enlightenment because (laughs) it was not very enlightening. Starting from enlightenment, I feel like it's just gone. It's like this whole bogus thing. No, only that we can see things outside. We study them.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the you know historical moves there is is obviously, which I know is close to your heart, the um, the split of alchemy. Where the kind of esoteric, contemplative, psychological component of alchemy as a as a yeah. you know, and obviously you know Jung has been a big figure in terms of re you know reintroducing those ideas into the into the modern world, but as a quest towards self-realization or inv- individuation or whatever, using the more union terms, but um, a technology for once again optimizing our you know cognitive relationship to the world and then that split away from the more you know wet material scientific side of alchemy which you know went on and became chemistry um and then all of that just kind of got you know thrown away because it's too soft i think back to the 20th century um I mean, I think that again, the reactionary legacy of science and its need to break away from the church and all of that is a huge thing. But in the in the 20th century, you also have this physics envy thing, um, which is you know is not unique to the 20th century. Obviously, it certainly goes back at least to Newton. Um, but this we don't want to be a soft science thing. Uh, we want to be hard, and so everything has to be as precise as possible. And again, I think behaviorism is is an attempt to have a you know, really rigorous science of the mind, which, you know, in order to do that, we have to cut the mind out kind of thing, which is quite funny. Um, But and I don't have a problem with that. Like, I don't have a problem with the behaviorist research agenda and all of that. I have a problem with it being elevated to some kind of philosophical maxim, like you can't have those other things can't be in the room, you know, we can't talk about that or, but I do think that now because we have a much we have much more mature brain sciences um, we we have seen obviously famously in the last couple of decades that real resurgence in interest in consciousness and and you know altered states research and all of that kind of stuff the neuroscience of mindfulness the neuroscience of psychedelic states and everything and we are kind of as you know everybody keeps saying but we are in a kind of renaissance now for mind science um, sure. which is what yeah, cognitive science on that. Yeah. yeah and i think i think I that think that's
1: think cool. think science can borrow the way of like arts approach different vogues in them you know if you're, if, you do, if you're doing ours, yeah, at one point you're putting, you know, quantilism, you're doing just dots, mm. but nobody tells you, this is it. This is where we stop. Yeah. We fucking do the dots from now on till the 40th century, you know, after. Like, no, somebody else comes and like, fuck you dots, I'll be doing this. And then everybody's like, yeah, this is now what we do. This is what we do now. In science, no, in science, every paradigm, if you, at least in 20th century, right? In 20th century specifically, Mm -hmm. because obviously the science that we talk about basically is the product of the post, like, you know, like, like post 19th century, like, post, like, Lord Calvin-ish, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Or even post-Newton. Even post-50s, like, you know, the peer review papers, publication, that kind of thing. But still, the way it functions is like, I mean, it feels like it's almost, it has, you know, there is a definitely, you need to have a childish, childlike brain to engage in that because, you know, you need to be curious, you need to, there is like a lot of childlike behaviors that a scientist has to have. But then it feels like they also have another childlike behaviors. Yeah. First of all, being absolutely certain that you are 100% true and 100% correct. Second of all is all like, you know, the piecing contests and all of that, like it's just funny. It's funny how this enterprise seems to be borrowing on the subconscious traits that are connected with the traits that are championed. And they are just implicitly present, you know? They're like, this is how we do things, you know? If you don't agree with the scientific paradigm, you are a pariah. You're not seeing as, oh, maybe he has something to say. Maybe we just, maybe he's onto something. No, he will be like, no matter what you say, if you go against the dominant scientific paradigm, you are fucking heretic. Well, I think... Why is it? Well, I...
0: I could give an attempt at answering why. Again, I'm just going to say the same thing. This will be the third time I say it. But it's a reactionary tradition from the beginning. But it also has something that art doesn't have. I mean, another thing that art doesn't have, which is that criticism is this really deeply enshrined and very functional part of the way science works, which is a good thing, right? But actually, a way of looking at it would be contrasting Popper and Kuhn and their different views of, of the role of dogma in scientific practice so popper is an idealist and popper says that dogma is anathema which sounds kind of dogmatic uh, he actually was quite a dogmatic person but in his philosophy he's like no there's no place for dogma at all that's awful scientists should never be dogmatic they dogma should always number be one yeah dogma dogma number, number one, one no dogma, no dogma. Yeah. <laughs> They should, you know, they should be open to criticism, and they, should, you know, like criticism should be this open. He, he's big on his openness, you know. The open society is one of his big books, right?
1: Oh, with bubble but Einstein.
0: Yeah, um, but Kuhn, on the other hand. Um, you know who's often described as more of a sociologist. So, if like Popper is the idealist, this is how like normative philosophy. This is how we should do science, and this is this is what a fully functioning, well-oiled scientific machine looks like, kind of thing. And basically, like this is how the process works on aggregate. That's Popper. Kuhn is more like you know what are scientists actually doing. Um and he thinks that dogma actually is functional within the scientific context because he thinks it's really important that people are dogmatic so that they're strong enough in their criticisms basically, Mm -hmm. um, and that you know it's kind of that even though this isn't a Coonian term to my knowledge but it's like extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence kind of dogma it's like most you know most people who go against the dominant paradigm are loons and we should criticize that we should be very dogmatic in our defense of the dominant paradigm because the vast majority of people who go against it are cranks um, and then every now and then there's somebody who you know institutes a paradigm shift you know obviously kuhn is the again evolutionary metaphors kuhn is punctuated equilibrium um whereas popper is gradualism so popper's very darwinian in that sense and and you know kuhn is stephen jay gould of of, of you know yeah. philosophy of science or whatever um but so yeah he sees that there's a he believes that there's a genuine functional role for dogma
1: and this is i can see that like i don't think it's implemented in the best way and i don't think i would say dogma is good rather conscious dogmatic behavior can be good like you need to be conscious Mm. of what you think as a dogma and why you think that as a dogma so that you can actually you know, uh, distance yourself from it once you sh- once you see that it no longer stands. But then you're like, already
0: you're already then in Popper's court, I think.
1: Because... Yeah, yeah, but exactly. But it yeah. but it has not. it should not be the dogma. I mean, I would give you like you know in, as an example from my experience is that when I first sort like you know saw Brian in Oxford, I came to his lecture because I was like, no, you're full of shit. <laughs> I I know you're full of shit. Like yeah. I know that Komodo dragons are venomous because of bacteria. I read about that. And i'm gonna go there and listen to your bullshit and be not convinced this was my you know exactly my like impetus and i came out of this lecture being now actually the other guys are wrong you are actually the right person like
0: yeah yeah and i mean because one of the things that happens in that sort of circumstance is that you you think you have these ideas that the person hasn't considered or hasn't properly yeah. addressed, and then a good scientist has already has knows his area a lot better than you do because it's not your exactly, area. Exactly. Yeah. not like addressed... I about
1: Venus yeah. with that time. I had no idea, and so me thinking that I'm like I know what I'm. Yeah. Of course. That's what exactly that. Yeah. But the issue is that you know when people don't do that, they cling to their dogmas, mm-hmm. and you know they will. In science, we see that they actually really like to cling to their dogmas. Understood. Yeah. Like the freaking, you know, that experiment with the thinking and the free will, oh my God, how long would you stop just whatever? Is it lemon?
0: Libet. Benjamin Libet. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But let's not go there right now. I think, but an interesting thing that really is revealed here about that Popper versus Kuhn thing is, in a sense, how much of an idealist Popper really is. Because, of course, he would say that you should be as strong in your criticisms as possible, right? But at the yeah. same time, you should be ready to give them up as soon as a stronger criticism, you know, comes along. Yeah. And it's like yeah. the thing is, I mean, that's very. Very abstract, because in order to be really strong in your criticisms, you often need to be kind of emotionally and, you know, all of you need to be really engaged with the idea. Or that.
1: Well, I would think I would think that can be trained. I would think, think it's for sure. It seems to me like a trainable behavior. I mean, I definitely trained myself to be better in that exact yeah. behavior. So you can still be really, you know, you can still argue really powerfully. You just need to be mindful of where you're coming from. And then once the argument presents to you, like you have to be honest with yourself, you know, because the best arguing is the honest arguing. Yeah. And so if you argue and you honestly believe you're right and you have an honest understanding of where you're coming from, then when an argument pre- is presented to you that goes against it, you then see how it disconnects. And then he, dishonest way would be to ignore it, but honest way is to integrate it and see if you can still hold the position. But that, how can you turn that argument against them? And if you cannot, then you have to restructure your understanding. Yeah. And like, you can you can always say like, okay, right now I don't have an answer for that. I'm going to go away and yeah. think about it.
0: I think that it, this yeah. this ties in really well to the the idea of of you know seeing through the essential self or or whatever because you should be able to be and be comfortable with being a, you know in different states kind of being a different person yeah. or having a different persona in different yeah. circumstances so often that but realization to
1: like you yeah. have to allow for the possibility that the future you yeah. is a different to you which is obvious fact of life yeah. but we don't take it for granted
0: but also also yeah i mean exactly that and you should It may be the case that you are arguing so vociferously in the moment that you will not, you know, be able to fully take in the counter argument. I mean, if you're at all open, the argument might stump you, but you might not admit in that precise moment that, oh shit, I've just been beaten or whatever. Fine. I mean, it'd be great if you could do that. But even if you can't, you should be able to reflect after the fact. And then you know when you've had a good time to consider it. Instead of just rationalising your own position, you should be able to really hold that new idea for you um, in a in a more balanced yeah. way. And and you know accept that it even if it's not right. Because again, that's part of the Popperian framework, of course, is that nothing is right. Just some criticisms are better than others. Yeah. Even it, or some ideas are better than others. In you know um, even if. You don't have to then you know jump across and take that new thing you just say okay that argument defeated all of my arguments i either need new <laughs> arguments which can defeat that argument or i will accept that provisionally as the best well basically i will accept that provisionally as the best argument available to me right now but i'm going to go and look for some better arguments because that's yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. unending process it's the yeah well,
1: like a lot of people are doing exactly this mistake they think that they are they are they feel or they argue as if the judge the you know the judge will be on right after we stop we stop arguing like as soon as we are we're mm. done with this there will be a judgment poll yeah, and yeah. then the winner will be the absolute be vote. winner for forever and ever and ever. Yeah, huh? there'll be a vote. I mean that's the the, the fallacy yeah, of yeah, that but they, of they, the debate. As as they will be a vote, but they will be you know the final vote. Yeah, it yeah. will be set after this, mm. and this is kind of also you know a wrong way to approach it. But the emotions I think are more like more important is that. People, you know, they just, I mean, first of all, they're not really aware of the emotional states, but then they also take them for, you know, for what they if they ask. Like, if, if they feel unhappy, right, they don't, if like, you know, you say something that contradicts with my, you know, belief system, you know, like some, in, in some profound way that would upset my belief system, then I would naturally feel upset about that. And then there, you know, reaction is that, oh, I feel upset, therefore, you know, I need to find a way to not be upset. I need to find like, you know, this, you know, state of upset is bad. While the, you know, actual, what's actually happening is that you had a rigid system that got disassembled because of that you have depression because of your brain because the system got disassembled. And so that's the natural cause of it. Now you need to spend time to building more system and then you will feel good when the the new system is built. Like, that's exactly how it works. And but so there's a really,
0: there's a really interesting corollary to that, which is that if you voluntarily um, allow the system to be disassembled, it feels good in a certain sense. Like when you have, there, there's something inherently rewarding about s- noise resolving into signal. So if you, if you, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, no, but that, that's when you build a new system. When yeah, you disassemble, sure, yeah. it feels not good. It feels confusing. Yeah. That's why people don't like confusion but then when you are going into the next step of lucidity that's where you assembled it and then you are flushed with whatever dopamine or not you are flushed with it Yeah. but the
0: the fascinating thing is that that can happen in the moment right like the old model gets updated constantly obviously Um, and I mean it's just one of those great experiences in you know attention transforming reality um, which is that which obviously for you know, open monitoring, meditation and those sorts of things, but just listening to a piece of music is a, is a, is a great example. Um, but yeah, when you're, when you're hearing something, walking through the forest and you're hearing... There's like some noise around you and then you stop and you listen and it's the stream that's running beside the thing and suddenly you're hearing you know all this like really complex bubbling noise and and then you get an instant hit of of dopamine Mm -hmm. Um, you get an instant reward just for the very simple thing of having resolved noise
1: into signal um, yeah, and that's yeah because no longer confused you're you, you yeah. no longer you should not like no longer you no longer don't know what to do yeah because you know exactly what's going on yeah and I think we need to, we I mean th- th- there is obviously very you know like there is always evolutionary reason why we don't like being confused because yeah. maybe a tiger's gonna eat fucking eat you right now right but we as humans and now we need to teach our kids and ourselves how to be absolutely comfortable with being confused like for most people you know if, especially if it's something social right so if they they are alone at home it's night and they just had you know whatever a day, you know a night out and now they are being slightly unhappy about the way they interacted with those people they feel the need to immediately resolve that confusion. Mm. They would feel the need to be like, you know, oh, hey, you know, like to chat with those people and just check where the connections stand now mm. to be able to be like, oh, okay, it's fine, or no, I have to do something about it. They cannot be just like, eh, whatever. Like, it's impossible because that confusion is just so strong that it forces certain behavior. Yeah. And when you're arguing with people like that, you would see that as soon as they start getting uncomfortable in the, you know, like they cannot tread with certainty on the topic, they get visibly unhappy. They get like, you can see how they are unhappy. And what is really upsetting to me personally in this is that people treat is that it's their right to be upset there. Well, no. It's not their right to be upset. They are in control of their emotional state. I'm in control of my emotional state. We are having a conversation. If they choose to have a certain emotional state in that conversation, it justifies any emotional state that I will choose in that conversation. So
0: yeah. Hmm. I mean I think I think there's two things. The the thing that people the thing that it would be ideal for people to appreciate is just how up how updating your model feels good in a certain sense so like learning in general feels good especially you know i mean it's very um immediate when it's a perceptual like a, a sensory stimulus and you pay attention to it because you are you are clearly getting a more accurate representation of it by updating your model in that sense and that just feels good like getting good information, it can be a little bit more difficult to tell whether it's good information or just someone is, is presenting a strong argument for a bad information, um, which is, of course, very prevalent in the world. But updating your model feels good,
1: basically. The other yeah, thing but that's, though, what, that's why all the conspiracy theory things, I guess, hook up people. Yeah.
0: But just, well, we can get to that in a sec. But to push back on your other thing, um, I do think that in relationships, if you can diffuse emotional tension rapidly, that's a good thing.
1: Um, of course, but relationships are about emotions. Yeah. you know, relationships oh, sure. are not about the conversation yeah. or anything. They are about emotional well-being of the participants yeah. of the relationship.
0: But I so I do think the like never sleep on an argument kind of thing in a you know in a rela- in in a marriage or, or whatever is is. Pretty much good advice, in the sense that you should try to bring things into a state of, you know, relatively tolerable equilibrium um, as 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 rapidly as possible. Which I don't mean necessarily like bending over backwards and conceding in things, because that doesn't do that. That doesn't actually yeah. resolve things. Bottling up things and and you know suppressing your emotions, oh. and all of that. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you can resolve an argument then better to do that you know in the moment rather than allow people to you
1: know you want your you know partner in the relationship to be better for themselves in general then you want them to be more robust than they are no matter how robust they are you still want them to be more robust. sure and if they feel really unhappy about a certain topic then if there is a way to continue with that topic and then therefore increase their endurance by making them stay in that topic despite their discomfort and to show them they actually can withstand it much longer than they thought yeah then it's beneficial for the relationship as well yeah
0: i mean i i agree just with the caveat that obviously it's a very you know situation specific
1: yeah i mean I, I wouldn't make... any rule yeah. that would okay. be like this it's yeah. not like you know going to rules for life rule number 13 it's more like, you know, on a case-to-case basis, of course, and you need to understand, you know, where there is, you know, perceived discomfort, where there is actual discomfort and how far can you go with each person because, you know, people are very different. And some people, they will act as if they are absolutely losing themselves, but they are not actually. You can go much further with, you know, with them in conversations, you know, that they thought or they present and some, others are, some people are quite the opposite, for sure.
0: And I think generally, uh, uh, you know, creating, well, like narrowing comfort zones and, you know, a thing I've said to you about, you know, particular people in the past, but like putting yourself in a position where you are not accountable to others or not challenged by others because you have some kind of really strong, you know, defensive mechanism that makes people not want to challenge you essentially that's really bad for you it's i mean it's bad for your relationships in general but it's extremely bad for you personally as well let's get on the conspiracy theory thing for really quickly and then we'll and then we'll call it i think but there it is fascinating how there's clearly a very strong reward associated with you know breaking away from a lot of you know conventional bullshit and we all agree, well, we all agree, you and I agree that a lot of, you know, there is a lot of conventional bullshit that we have They're to deal with. Um, and a lot of people treat conventions as intrinsic reality, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, I mean, we may differ slightly on, on the words we would use to describe convention, of course, <coughs> bless you, Um you know, in my vocabulary, conventions are real. They're important. They're functional. They can also be bullshit, and they can be malfunctioning, and 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 all of that kind of stuff. But whatever they are, they are not intrinsic elements of reality. Um, they are constructed. And so yeah. there's there's clearly a big because we're all kind of under pressure from that. I think everybody has some set of conventions that they feel are bullshit Um, and everybody has some desire to break away some of the time you know we're frustrated with norms and strictures and all of these sorts of things Um, yeah there's something very liberating and it is literally liberating you liberate yourself from a set of conventions around a particular issue And then you know you they they often have as we know truthers will have very you know complex rationalizations for another point of view which may indeed be based on some you know somewhat accurate information in the sense that they usually there's a perfect like a perfection fallacy a fallacy of perfection going on. And they have cherry-picked what is actually bad about a certain thing, like the the actual conspiracies that are, in fact, part of our societies, or the actual problems with vaccines or, or whatever it is, because, you know, nothing's perfect. And they've cherry-picked a bit of, you know, more or less accurate data on the pitfalls, the flaws in a particular thing and then they've built an entire system of arguments on top of that which obviously goes well beyond the the accurate and legitimate data but in some sense that veneer of truth or authenticity or whatever enables them to really jump off in a big way and get that big thing for you know they get to be liberated and they get to become the us they get to become the i mean they get to indulge in both sides of the in group, out group thing, right? They yeah. get to say, I'm not part of the in group because that's the conspirators, and that's why I am not, my life's not working out in X, Y, and Z way, and all that kind of thing. So they get to have the big bad faith argument, which is that I'm not responsible, it's that group, and I never had a chance because I'm not a reptiloid or whatever the fuck. But then they, <laughs> then they also get to be on the other side of the in-group, out-group thing, which is like, well, I am in the elect few who really know. Yeah. I'm not one of the sheeple. I really know what the truth is. So, again, they get to... They
1: do whatever, the blue pill or the red pill, I keep forgetting yeah, which is yeah. the right one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: So, I think it's a fascinating... It is a really a fascinating yeah, phenomenon. So but in
1: terms of noise getting into, yeah. like, you know, the feeling of the assembling of yeah. reality... That thing definitely fulfills its function because, you know, like, you know, when you you have you've seen the you know whatever the trails of the planes right in the sky, you've seen them. They were part of your reality, and they were like, yeah, whatever things in the sky. And then suddenly tells you somebody that they are in fact not just random. They are chemtrails trails connected with this mega conspiracy over there. You like. <laughs> Yeah, and that suddenly this, you know, this noisy piece of reality that you never paid much yeah, attention just suddenly connects in a very profound way with just your life and how you've been fucked up and how yeah, everybody been exactly. fucked up. And they're like, Yes. Yeah, it
0: becomes success. it becomes super salient because it's connected to something that is already salient yeah. for you, which is the fact yeah. that your life is not going that well or whatever. I yeah. wonder if
1: there is there is some reliable antidote. If not if, if it's not just, you know, like uh types of human frequency like you know psychic phenotype for whatever for <laughs> the lack of a better word because obviously biology is not there right we not we haven't described the psyche in any sort you know satisfaction satisfying i think
0: it's a legitimate i think it's a legitimate term yeah
1: yeah so psychic phenotype and there is some you know random distribution of psychic phenotypes and some of those are just by virtue. It's not like, you know, you are being one, you are becoming one by through interacting with others. And so they will just breed their diversity, right? And so you will have humans that will be naturally, you know, they are against authorities and they would be, you know, against anybody who gives you any idea. They would be like, fuck you, you don't know anything. Then you have others that would believe give everything. Then you have people who believe people who say things against authorities, mm. you know? So you believe different kind of authority, you mm. believe like a rogue authority. And I'm just curious if there is a reliable way to prevent people from falling into pitfalls of belief in any sense of way, or at least as much as you can. Like, because, I mean... You and I, we obviously believe a bunch of random stuff, and like I'm sure we believe in a lot of things that are just absolutely wrong if you look at it from the 25th century perspective. But as far as we can understand the world now, we try to make our worldview as consistent with the best practice understanding of reality that we can have access to. So if we are presented with a you know explanation why believe A is better than believe B, we like okay believe A seems makes sense, but we're not clinging to that belief A, right? So I wonder if you can foster this type of an approach into any human. I think so. You- the kind of free them of being you know manipulated without them wanting to be manipulated.
0: Yeah. I think you can. But I think it's kind of a course of practice. So people kind of have to already want to do it. You know, they have to be receptive. So obviously, again, I think that meditation practices or meditation plus contemplation, whatever, those practices are designed to do that kind of thing. I also think that um you know depth psychology is designed to do that kind of thing as well. You know, it's designed to break these things apart and uh, you know break these these complexes, these habitual patterns of, of thinking and being and etc apart and kind of show people that <clears throat> there's you know not necessarily there's sure, nothing in practices. Yeah. They you know
1: you cannot be just doing your you know psychology in if you're just a random person mm. but you can meditation if you're a random person mm. you know random meditation is really trainable mm. but i'm not sure if that would be like meditation itself does not seem to be enough like there seems to be certain set of uh behaviors or you know, ways of thinking that would create that yeah, yeah. well i think people... i mean i would like to there is and i believe i would like to believe that we as humanity will soon stumble upon it yeah no but i would, I would, I would. Not, but i i'm not entirely sure if you know all we see is just basically populations acting you Not, know, i mean even like humanity at large acting itself out and we are just you know too small too tiny to understand our role so you know maybe the truthers are like you know the meat god mm. and we are like the frontal lobe or whatever And we all are needed for the humanity to function in a proper way. Yeah,
0: no, I I love that idea, like the the ecosystem of of humanity. Um, Yeah, Yeah. no, I I think that that's totally right. And I think that that is the really good antidote to the kind of messianic or utopian view that one might have. You know, I will come up with the system that will correct everything, you know. Uh, yeah. No, I think that the the ecological view and even kind of the su- super organism view, I guess, is is what you're what you're saying. I think that that's yeah. that, that's spot on. Just because we are all part of this, you know, fantastically complex system that no individual can possibly understand, and it's yeah. you know, its evolutionary dynamics are, are gonna swing. Yeah, that's
1: exactly it. like maybe we need for the evolution of, for for mm-hmm. the evolution of ideas. Yeah. Maybe we need people who are like, I mean, objectively in quotes, right? Objectively dumb, like <laughs> they just stubbornly objectively dumb. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are fulfilling a very necessary purpose, like strengthening the ideas that otherwise would have been, you know, too dull to fight with other ideas, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they're like, you know, the wetting stone or whatnot. Like,
0: well, again, I think, just, I think uh, that. You know, we can again think of Popper, we can again think of science as kind of a microcosm, or you can think of, uh, you know, ancient India in a dialectical period and Athens in the same and everything like the growth of knowledge occurs when you have a lot of competing strategies in a space. You know, I mean diversity, novel novelty, um, is born from, you know, competing strategies. You can think of just any natural system. Uh and it so I think
1: people burning 5G towers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean there are obviously some strategies which are maladaptive and, you know, and are cheats and who don't contribute and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I do think Exactly as you say, that the dynamics of kind of you know human cultural evolution writ large now, and especially as we as we move further and further towards being you know one community in some sense, it's it's well beyond anybody's capacity to to model and, and understand. Yeah. But it but is we haven't even
1: got even close to modeling it. Yeah, like yeah, no you problem, know, yeah. it's it's very it's very peculiar when people say, yeah, biology you know has map this territory and yeah
0: yeah but i think like I th- we had not even close i think all of this really does for me you know bring bring us back to the idea that you know which we haven't really had in this conversation but we've talked about a number of times before which is that the best you can do is be kind of the best that you can be And that's why, you know, really the most effective strategies do still come back to things like meditation and, and, you know, psychoanalysis and things like that. You know, these are things that you can take part in. You can understand yourself and you can peel back the layers and layers and layers and know that you'll never be perfect and all of that kind of stuff. But you can improve yourself um, to the extent that that's possible from the situation that you are actually in um and in a sense that's the best you can do and really again that's really deep in buddhism the idea it's like inactive inactivist ethics you know being the best you can be so that you go out into the world and kind of spread goodness in some way in the in the you know amongst your fellow
1: humans definitely i definitely agree with that idea but at the same time maybe no matter what you do you will be good for humanity yeah well
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Sure. maybe maybe that's how it works like you know humanity has to be some sort of a moral right yeah. so it might be that you know people who kill children in fact save more children because they make more strict rules against them that then force other people not to like you know i mean obviously making this up yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm not sure well, I I trying to believe that myself but well, as a yeah. principle I mean,
0: it's like the idea that the pandemic will be good for us because what yeah. we really need is we need a shock to the system, and then that will help us to come together and all those sorts of things. And then, you know, you like, can
1: extend We really that. do that very easily with people who died 2,000 years ago. Mm. We really don't care that they actually died and they were actually people, mm. you know. We really care about the people that we see. And we're like, no, you don't get to tell that the Holocaust was for a reason. But you can easily say that Black Plague was for a reason.
0: Yeah. How? But I think there's a difference, and this is somewhere we didn't get in this conversation, which actually I was thinking we might have a good conversation about teleology and we might have a good conversation about well, Arist- Aristotle and his four causes if we were going to talk about evolutionary thinking another time, next time. Yeah. But um, there's a difference between, you know, happened for a reason and after the fact. You know, there's a difference between saying it had a purpose before it happened um so yeah. it was a purposeful thing and then seeing that it is purposeful after it so it's sure, acceptation, but, you right?
1: you, but you still cannot say that about things that actually are connected like you know antibiotics and nazi germany they are i mean yeah. they, they have developed a sort of you know a, like a series of, of antibiotics mm-hmm. so if you don't have nazi germany you don't have them it does but what people hear is, yeah. you know, not what you say. They hear that Nazi Germany is good because it gave us antibiotics. And you're like, oh, I didn't say that. And you're like, oh, yes, you did. And you're like, oh, you didn't. Well, technically, you did, you, did.
0: you did say that, and I'm going to cut it out and I'm going to plaster it everywhere, <laughs> all over the internet. Everyone's <laughs> going to hear just that. And then.